Hello and welcome to Act Natural. I'm your host, Brian Middleton. I'm your co-host, Jenilee Sunshine. And today we have uh, Jonathan Amey, I hope I pronounced that right, and Tom Perry. Amy. Yeah. Amy? Okay. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Jonathan, Amy, and uh, Tommy Perry. And uh, I'll let you folks introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Tommy Perry. I'm a behavior analyst and counselor. I live in Indy. Um, I'm in private practice and also do some uh, contract work with Indiana University and Regan Street Institute. Happy to, to be on a part of this podcast. Thank you all for inviting us. Of course. And I'm Jonathan Amy, and I'm an educational consultant in Pittsburgh. And I've been working with families for close to 20 years. Uh, in-home clinics, schools, across the board. So thank you for the invitation. So we actually hosted Jonathan and Tommy on Mindful Behavior to, to offer a free CE presentation. I believe it was in February. Gosh, time, time flies. That's crazy. Uh, but they offered one on how do you utilize ACTS with parent training. And it was such a big hit. So much positive feedback came rolling in afterwards, and, and I was like, okay, what can we do next? How can we get more out there? So, so they were kind enough to agree to come on and do this show with us. Yep. Our pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's a, a real pleasure to have you. Um, to start with, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about what are you guys, uh, what are your specialties? What are the things that you like to do when it comes to act and, and with parents and family? That's a, that's a big question. When it comes to working with families, um, I think that there's a lot that act has to offer. And um, especially, uh, you know, as behavior analysts, sometimes we, our focus tends to be on the client, you know, naturally, I think. And so, we, we sometimes forget that like the bigger picture, um, the parents, the siblings, the environments around the kid um, are incredibly important to shaping in shaping the child's behavior. So um, in terms of like using ACT with, uh, with, with clients and with families, I've, I've always, you know, since I sort of discovered ACT, I'd always been drawn toward, towards it because I felt like it was just such a useful way to engage um, di you know, differently. And I kind of came from an in-home background um, where you know, when I first started out in the field, I was doing a lot of in-home work. It's so necessarily contacting a lot of people um, outside of the client. So um, I've always just felt like it was just such a, um, easy, not, well, not, not, not always easy, but um, just a natural um, fitting way to, to work with. Yeah. And I, I've always looked at it too, as a way to really create some, some psychological flexibility with our parents that we're working with. So starting off as an in-home therapist, working one-on-one -on -one, um, with learners of all types, and it was clear that, you know, we're kind of looking at this, um, everything that we were working on quite literally, right? So we just think about, okay, what was I doing in the moment? What was happening? And what was the relevant consequence? And the more we did that, the more it appeared, there's, there's a lot more going on here than just that, right? And so that led me on this, this quest for information. And I was really lucky along the way to have just so many really good mentors. Um, I, I just, I've been standing on the shores of giants for a long time, right? So I've got, kind of got this eclectic approach that kind of, Holds in this ACT approach as we try to create a means for which parents can really anchor into some of these really difficult ways of looking at the broader system. And so that led me to like nonlinear contingency analysis and work with Israel Goldarm. And, and so I think about like ACT and beyond, right? So we have this ACT and like we're looking, let's look beyond too, right? We got all these things available to us uh, and how can we combine them in ways that really get at what we're trying to get at with families, right? So ACT is just a wonderful way to kind of pull this all together, so. 
Oh, beautiful. I love that. So I guess a question I have for both of you, and this is a lot of questions we get from our audience members, the group members within Mindful Behavior. Well, the first question we get a lot, how do I get certified in ACT? You all can't see me using my air quotes on <laughs> ACT certification uh, because that's actually not a thing. But you had spoke, Jonathan, to just fantastic mentorship. You were able to receive so many people interested. How, how do I do this? So I, I would love to learn a little bit more, Jonathan, Tommy, from both of you, how you even got started in, in this journey that, that you're on and to be able to get that mentorship with your families, clients, parents, et cetera. Uh, I think from my standpoint, um, it was kind of a hard lesson to learn, actually, is just to be able to just ask. You know, we're fortunate enough to have a really welcoming community. Um, I, I grew up in the precision teaching world uh, as a very open and um, very giving uh, society of people that are willing to share their information, right? Uh, and I always, you know, it always felt weird just walking up to somebody who's like written articles and they're like an expert and you're like, hey, can you like teach me stuff? <laughs> you know, it's just a very weird thing. Um, but you know what? Like nearly 100% of the time they say yes, right? And so it's about asking. It's about kind of just emailing and putting yourself out there. Uh, and we've been just, I've just been very fortunate uh, to come in contact with people along the way that we're willing to do those things. So that's, a, that's the first thing. Don't be afraid to reach out, right? Don't be afraid to reach out. Email people, <laughs> call them, uh, message them, and ask, ask for support. And more, more often than none, people will be willing to lend that support and lend that help. Yeah, I, I, I second everything Jonathan is saying. I feel like um, it, it's a, just a leap. You just have to go out and, and ask and put yourself out there. You have to be willing to, um, you know, contact potentially some rejection. Um, but, but I feel like in my experience as well, it was pretty similar. Like, I feel like I just came across people that were um, willing to help and um, willing to, to answer questions. I remember um, emailing Kirk Strassel, one of the co-founders of ACT, like not long after I had discovered focused acceptance commitment therapy, and he emailed me back in like an hour. I was like, oh my God, okay. Um, and um, I think that you, um, yeah, you, you, you've got to take the leap, I think. And if something matters enough to you, then, um, you know, usually you can find the strength to, to swallow a bit of rejection or at least keep trying, keep pushing forward. Um, you know, if it's something you, you want. And I think most people, you know, that get to a point, you know, where they become a behavior analyst, you've already probably tasted this, a little bit of rejection or a little bit of failure and like, and you're still here. <laughs> like you're still Very going. true. <laughs> so I, I, I agree. That yeah. I like that. And, and we've, we've been very lucky to everyone that we've reached out to to ask if they want to do the podcast with us or if they want to offer their time completely for free to, to do this monthly CE. No rejections yet. So yeah, the ACT community, it's definitely close-knit, filled with people who want to be able to help spread this to others. So I think that's a, a really beautiful thing about what we're doing as well. Yeah, it's tremendous. And I totally agree. For these things too. I mean, it's just when people care about things that they want to share it. And I think that's what we all have in common. Right? So. Well, and that's one of the things that like I've, I started doing frequent live streams on, on my social media platform, just talking about act ideas because apparently people are wanting to hear about that. And I have to do the imposter syndrome dance of like, who am I to talk about this? But at the same time, like, we need to talk about it. So that's a, a big part of it is, is having that conversation. Um, one question that I had for you folks is, um, so you, you focus on ACT for families. Is there any research that has been done on ACT um, applied to 
families um, and how that impacts uh, behavior of both the individuals that typically are receiving services, but also the rest of the family? Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, there, there is a, um, there's definitely some research out there on, you know, working with with parents specifically. I'm not sure if that quite gets at it. And, you know, um, I think more and more uh, research is coming out from from different people on on working with parents. Um, you know, there's there's earlier research um, on mindfulness specifically and um, how that can improve responding to, you know, difficult behavior or challenging behavior. Um, but um, I'm not sure if that quite answers uh, your question, Brian. I mean, like, I know, you know, there are a number of names that pop in my head when I think about sort of act research with, with parents specifically. And, um, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff, I think, going on lately. And even over the pandemic, there were a lot of articles that came out that were um, kind of pushed through, you know, like, got out there quick to support in the effort of supporting parents and families throughout the pandemic when a lot of ABS was um, Yeah. Um, but there's not like one, there's not usually like one specific one that stands out. Um, well, and part of the reason I asked this is because um, I, I see ACT as being a possible way of, of well, one, just supporting everybody generally, because my mindfulness is something that's going to just help with um, improving overall mental health and those sorts of things. The research on that is, is really fantastic. Um, but I kind of see this as, as a potential, I'm, I'm gonna use this term and I hope I'm using it nicely and kindly, but at the same time, if people see it as anything other than this, please be patient because I'll explain. I see this as a potential triage for big behavior problems. Um, cause right now in behavior analysis, uh, and in other areas of counseling and support, um, outside of behavior analysis, what I'm seeing is that usually what happens is people go on a wait list and it's first come first serve type thing. And when you have a big behavior crisis where we're talking about suicidal ideation, we're talking about uh, self-injury, we're talking about hurting, uh, hurting other people, those sorts of things, um, that there's not really a, a support for those people who are in those big cases because there's no entry-level basic thing that can help families and parents aside from finding a consultant or someone who can come into the home and, and show them some skills. And what I see at, especially for families as being is um, a way to help with the handling those big emotions, those big situations, and then trusting the parents to be parents because, and this is my opinion, most parents don't need parent training they, 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 they need that support for when the big emotion hits or when the big behavior happens and how can we respond to it and how do they respond to their own internal critic um, and handle those things. Like when it comes to the actual behaviors, parents are really great at being parents. It's the stuff that you're, is not expected that comes out of the blue that they've never been, they've been, haven't been prepared for. Gosh, you know what? I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. I mean, it's a nice segue into kind of the approach I bring to it is that really all behavior is rational, right? And so if if we use that as our underlying foundation and we accept that all behavior is rational, that really puts us in a position to take that emotion, right, that we're all experiencing, and use that emotion as a contingency descriptor. So if we think about that for a second, and we and we say like, okay, what is this emotion that's popping up for? What is that shining the spotlight on, right? So if I'm experiencing like this feeling of, of anger, what is it that I'm trying to really put distance between me and something else? That's serving as my reinforcer, that distance. That anger could be a result of that, right? So if I use that, that emotion to, to shine that spotlight, I'm now in a position to start solving problems. So parent training, yeah, I guess that's, this is something that where is the, the headline, the parent training, 
But really, it's about training people to be contingency analysts. As a behavior analyst, that's what we're trying to do, right? Act provides a, a situation where we, we put some psychological flex, flexibility there for the parents. So when they're coming out, they're just so stressed. They're so like, I've had enough of my kids spinning in circles and, and doing all of these things. And it causes all this frustration, ratio strain potentially on the parents, not getting access to things that are of value to them. Now we start to say, what's that feeling telling you, right? How can we use that to actually develop and put in place systemic interventions? That can then start to say like, now I'm starting to feel, starting to feel happy. Well, what's, what's occasioning that? What's going on right now that's resulting in this feeling of happiness? What's going on right now that's resulting in this feeling of anger, sadness, of guilt, of depression? So as we transfer this skill, this analysis piece to the parents, now they become the problem solvers, right? Or better yet, they become constructionist builders. So if I, if I approach this from a clinical standpoint, like a pathological standpoint, that I'm there to fix all these problems, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to be in this cycle of fixing problems. But if I can yeah. train up the, the parents how to look at issues and, and say, well, what, do, what skills do I need to build? What skills do I need to build on? It completely changes the dynamic of why we're there. Yeah. It, if you're always carrying a hammer, everything every everything's a nail, right? Excellent. Yeah. There's yes. there's there's always you're always looking for problems. You're not looking for what's working. That's right. That's right. I think we just got another T-shirt out of that one, Brian. <laughs> you just need to start sending me lists of things that I say, <laughs> and then I'll be like, "Did I say that?" <laughs> <laughs> No, that was fantastic. I love that one. I do want to make a, a side note as we're moving into Autism Acceptance Month. Uh, that's what the we're gearing towards versus awareness now, acceptance and inclusion. That with the, the self-stimulatory behavior, Jonathan, you, you had mentioned that as an example, that there is a movement towards backing off of the stems. If they're not hurting anyone, if the client's not harming themselves, just let them be with their happy little stems, uh, even if the parents may not love it, unless the client comes to us first and, and requests help with that. So I just wanted to make that note in there. And, you yeah. know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, like, if, 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 if there's any behavior analysts or, or people who work in behavior analysis or anybody else out there who's like, but what if the stem is causing harm? Well, then we, that's, that's self-injury. That's, that's not the same thing. It, it, it can be a STEM and self-injury, but it's not about reduction of STEM. It's about teaching coping skills, which could be, could include, this is actually exactly a discussion that was happened yesterday on, on Facebook of all places uh, where we were talking about that. Like if we teach a coping skill and we transfer the STEM to something that's not causing harm, great. We're not reducing stems. We're accepting the stem for what they are. We're just showing them how to do it without hurting themselves and others. Sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Oh, oh go ahead. That's fine. I was going to let Tommy, I'm sorry. I was just going to let you jump in if you had anything. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't hear you. Um, I, I don't, I don't have anything. I, um, I know that, uh, <laughs> April, April is Autism Acceptance Month, and I know that there's some talk around, um, you know, Red Instead and all all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, like I, I have a child on the autism spectrum, and so all of these things are close. You know, like I care a lot about um, hearing and listening to people that are autistic, and. Um, you know, I think that there's um, more space that we can make for, for listening. Um, and I don't know how directly relevant this is to what we were just talking about, but, um, you know, one thing that I've found valuable um, in my career is, is acceptance commitment therapy, because I feel like it's enabled me to um, just build a greater awareness of my own um, thoughts and feelings that move me away from what matters to me. And, you know, this is, you know, the ACT model is so broad and it's so useful in, in such a wide number of, of settings and places and things and 
Um, I think that's why I fell in love with it. But um, in, in any in any rate, I feel like when you're able to practice and you have a personal practice of mindfulness, or um, you know, when you're in touch with what matters to you, then you're able to to do hard things. And sometimes um, the hard thing is sitting and listening. Yes, 1000%. Thank you for that. Tommy and Jonathan, I was not trying to side rail from the dialogue. This was uh, a big conversation that had just taken place exactly about the parents and sins, et cetera. Yeah. So I just wanted to use this space to, to bring awareness to that since we are in awareness month. Um, cool. All right. So I would love to, to know a little bit more about those, those parents that we get who've maybe been in ABA for, for a long, long time and they, they've not really seen the, the benefits and you, you come into the picture and it's another clinician, someone else here to tell me what to do oh. to judge how I'm parenting my child and you don't have their, their buy-in. Um, can you talk to us a little bit just about that rapport building, especially for the parents who've just been through so much? Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot to say on this, and I don't want I don't want to talk too long, so I'll let it, I'll I want Jonathan to talk too um, on this um, because I think you know we both this is something I'm really glad you asked that question, Jenny Lee. Um, you know, it's I think that a lot of us have been in this place with with the family, whether we have worked with them for a long time or perhaps we're the new analyst that's coming on and we're inheriting a case where. Perhaps there's some um, trepidation or just skepticism on is this really is this really is this person really going to help me um, on the parents? So um, I think so. Two 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 things. So we can talk a little bit about how can we start a therapeutic relation off strong um, and with with clear expectations using ACT in that in that process and how do we respond when we inherit a case or when we start with someone who a parent or a family who has um, perhaps not the greatest history or um, with, with ABA uh, or, or with going through a lot of analysts, because that happens too, uh, unfortunately, where whatever high turnover, things like that. Right. So, so first um, I guess, I guess I'll address what your, your question was first, Jenny Lee, which is how do we work with a parent that, comes off maybe a little harsh, maybe they're a little difficult personality when you're starting off with them. Um, when my, my first thought, when I get a, a client like that or a family or a parent like that, where there's resistance, um, is I'm not going to um, say, I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to, um, I, I'm not going to use any statements with that parent that deny their, their experience. Um, I'm not going to defend ABA. I'm going to uh, whatever, whatever. I'm not going to defend the history of the services they received, even if they were at the company. I'm um, a constructive conversation about how can what what didn't work for you. Okay. How was how were the analysts that, that that worked with you? In what ways did you find things not so helpful? Um, what you know? Ha have you ever had you know a successful relationship with a uh, behavior analyst, what did that look like, you know? Um, and, you know, and, and then at that point, trying to get some really clear expectations in place. This is what I can offer you as a behavior analyst. This is what I'm capable of doing with your child. Um, what, how, it, how does that sound? What, what is it that you want from services and actually trying to start and get perhaps getting some values? What matters to you enough to, to bring your child into ABA. Do you remember that like three or four years ago before you ran through all these analysts? What, what part of you like really wanted to start this? And, and if they don't know, well, what, why do you keep showing up? Well, like, why are you even willing to have this conversation with me that um, about your child? There must be some really deeply held values here. So that's, that's if I inherit a, a client that perhaps has had a difficult um, experience or a lot of analysts in and out. If, if it's me starting with the client, then I think, and this is something Jonathan um, can probably speak to really well, but, you know, building the expectations from the foundation of the therapeutic relationship. Um, and, you know, the question that we've been talking about is, you know, if you're a behavior analyst, do you know what your client wants you, you to do for them? 
because that's that's crucial to the relationship. And that, that's just, I mean, that's just starting off a therapeutic relationship with very clear expectations. Jonathan, what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, that's that's step number one, right? Is what are you hoping to accomplish with the program, right? So from day one, the parents are coming into this with their full assent. And if that assent isn't there, that needs to be looked at, right? What is What are the conditions under which they're resisting that, right? And, and, and why am I there? If they don't want me there, why am I there? So we're going to start this off as a, as a coercive relationship? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, we really do want to have full assent. And, and that starts with the expectations. What do you hope to accomplish with this program? Getting a sense of that from day one. And a lot of parents will say things like, well, I just want my kid to be happy. I just want to be happy. I just want some time to myself. <laughs> right? So they have these kind of frustration level emotions that pop up. Then we start to go like a little bit of a different route. Can we label what that would actually look like? So imagine this kind of Martian comes down out of space, you know, it's a sign to watch you. And, and parents, when they hear that, they're, it's really funny because they'll be like, what are, you, what are you talking about a Martian? What do, you, what do you mean a Martian comes down observing me, right? So they're kind of taken off guard a little bit, which is kind of the point, right? We don't want this to be like some very formal, like, oh my gosh, here we go. We're going to hold our hands really nice and we're going to talk really formally. No, there's a Martian comes down, he's going to watch you. What do you do during your day? Right? What does this look like? What does being happy look like? What does your, your child doing what you want them to do look like, right? And that's important because it sets these clear expectations. Then we can say, where do you want to go? Where are you now? And we can set a path under which to get there. And ultimately, it's the, it's the parents, it's the family together looking at the contingencies that would further potentiate those things to happen. So now they're becoming these contingency analysts and they start monitoring these things. And you're there as a mentor, as a full open team member. So the big thing is I don't wanna be looked at as someone that has all the answers and they're gonna to come to me and I'm gonna give them an answer. Now I'm stuck in this fixer role and I constantly feel like I gotta fix problems, <laughs> right? As opposed to being a team member that's there to help guide, mentor, right? And that, from that very beginning, where all the data, all, everything's out on the table from the very beginning, there's nothing hidden. I'm not pulling something out of my pocket and saying, oh, I got yeah. something for that. I got something for this. It's, look, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. And those expectations from the very beginning need to be laid out. And what am I capable of doing? Do I have the skill necessary to, to guide this process or don't I? You know, I can really speak to this as a, a newer behavior analyst. Um, even before I became a behavior BCBA, I, I was, thanks to some fun circumstances, I was exposed to ACT. I was a special ed teacher for seven years before that. So I had a lot of the soft skills relating to building relationships and, and those sorts of things. And ACT just improved that. Um, and um, I'm working with a, a family right now where there's, there's some challenges, but up front, I was straightforward. I had conversations with them. I was genuine. Um, and um, one of the things that I talked about was uh, I talked about, you know, the way that ABA is typically done versus the way that I do ABA, that, that I care about it and talking about trauma-informed care. Part of that being that when I talk about this, I'm letting them know where my boundaries are and what I won't do because I'm not going to stem, stem suppress or anything like that but also to help them see where our values can connect because values are a big deal. And this particular parent, their response was, oh man, this is such a relief. I'm really grateful for this. And I'm like, cool, we're on the same team. We're in the team together. And something happened about three weeks back where, because I was repeating the idea of we're a team together, we're working together on this. And I've been collaborating with the parent and the school, um, when the teacher at the school reached out to the parent and said, I'm really concerned. This is a problem. There's some things happening here at school, and I don't know if I can handle it. The parent's response, instead of what typically happens when something like that happens is what's the school doing wrong? The parent's response was to reach out to me and say, hey, this team member is struggling what can we do as a team to support this team member? 
And, and just that entire attitude shift of instead of it being person versus person, or if we were to use video game terminology, uh, player versus player, we're looking at it as player versus environment. And we're all on a team trying to combat environmental issues. Then when somebody else on the team says, has those emotions and responds with, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm worried. And they, we see the outward signs of their internal conflict. Instead of going, what's wrong? We go, what can we do to work together? And, and I, would take it, I would take it even another step further and say, what are the conditions under which you're feeling scared? What's occasioning that emotion in that yeah. sense, right? And if we all are approaching this from an underlying representational system of applied behavioral analysis and uh, you know, an adherence to the experimental analysis of behavior, we are now all starting from this kind of same representational system, which allows for us all to communicate, right? So when I think of something like um, the flapping, for example, just to kind of go there, and, and I were to think about just in terms of what are the contingencies, right? I'm looking at it maybe as a, an adjunctive low-cost behavior. It's late, made likely under contingencies that are generated the use of excitement as a description, right? So if I start to approach it from schedules of reinforcement and I really look at how does this play out in the broader system that's occurring, now I have, now I have some description of what's actually going on. I can communicate all of that, right? So that's just one example. And so, Tom, did you have, any, did you have anything on that? N not anything. Um, I, th I thought what you said was was dead on. Um, I feel like, you know, um, I, I think part of what you're saying um, also, Brian, is sort of speaking to the power that um, a little bit of, uh, of ACT can do for the relationships building of the people around you. Um, you know, sort of recontextualizing the, the teacher. It's not a, sort of an us versus them and a, a client versus whatever, you know, um, but, you know, building, uh, working together as a team and, and seeing this as um, we can, we can work together to do, to do great things. And I can relate to you, Brian, and in that I feel like ACT has helped me um, with, with my relationships um, and building those relationships and not, not getting, um, you know, noticing when I have those urges or tendencies to, to fight or to go against or to debate. Um, but, but what Donathan's saying about emotions as contingencies descriptors and analyzing the, the, the conditions under which scared pops up, um, I think that um, that is valuable and that, is spe that speaks also to um, the importance of contingency analysis at every level. It's not just, it's not just the contingency analysis in the classroom with the kid and the teacher, contingency analysis at home and before I send an email and like, you know, like all these other, all these other little um, circumstances that perhaps we are not always, um, you know, necessarily aware of that there are, you know, there are things going on within us and um, we're responding to them and it's impacting the environments around us. If you guys don't mind, I want to actually uh, drop a book that book title that is uh, one of the most behavior analytics slash act books that's not a behavior analytic slash act book that I recommend and give to parents all the time. It, it, I actually keep three or four copies on my shelf just ready to hand it off uh, to the parents. And uh, the title is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. Um, I love that book. Yes, the yellow book. Someone who's commenting in the chat, the yellow book, it's the best. Um, and I read it before I encountered ACT. But now that I know ACT, I've been going through and rereading it and going like, oh, wait, this is, this is, helping some uh, helping the child diffuse this is helping the child be in the present moment this is putting them in context this is identifying values this is all these different frameworks um and it's it's not just for how to talk to kids so they will listen and listen so kids will talk i actually like thinking of it as how to talk to people so they will listen and listen so people will talk it's just that this is uh, was written specifically for parents. 
Um, so it's really a wonderful book just for that exact reason. And we can break it down and, and, and describe what is actually happening with it, with it. Um, but the, the, at the end of the day, it, it's my opinion that if we can be a little bit more, um, mindful and considerate with our interactions with others as well as with ourselves that it really alters the the conditions and it alters the environment absolutely and i honestly i feel like i need to stop doing these podcast episodes because my reading list just keeps getting longer and longer (laughs) brian drops the best books every time thank you brian (laughs) just kidding all right, guys, so tell us a little bit more about what this looks like in your session with the parents. You, you may have the kid running around the room. Maybe a tech is also there. But explain to us, what does this setup look like? Times of COVID, doing tele-coaching, engagement training, whatever you're, you're calling that, that parent interaction. Um, yeah, let us pick your brains more. What's the process here? Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so... It depends on the client and the context, right? So, you know, like a lot of parent meetings have been over telehealth. And um, for me, at least those parent meetings have, yeah, like all been over Zoom. And um, at least lately, I think when, you know, that will change. And I I miss, I miss um, the direct contact because I tend to, I feel like I've got a little bit more information to work with and the person in front of me and, Sometimes you can miss a little bit of that, um, but Zoom is good. Is, is I think the best right substitute when we're not in person. But in terms of what um, like a parent training session would be, um, you know, to, to be frank, like it doesn't look so different from like if you were to watch like if you were to watch me on a video working with a parent or family, you may not see anything different than just a, a regular parent training session. You'd see two people. You'd see two people talking, or you know, three people talking. Um, and, um, in terms of the actual content of, um, an act, uh, act with parents, you know, the act is, is a language-based intervention. It's verbal, it's verbal mediation. It's not really that removed from all the verbal behavior that most behavior analysts are doing. It's just applying, um, (laughs) sort of that, uh, a different kind of verbal mediation with, with people. And so, um, you know, you, from a behavior analytics standpoint, um, you know, this is training, you know, it's more like coaching and um, there are a lot like, gosh, it's, this is a broad question. So there's a lot that could happen within a, a parent training. Um, but, you know, you're using, you're using your body, you're using your, your vocal responding, um, you're using, you're listening um, and you know, you're using, you're using your, your voice and your words as an instrument. And just like you are when you're doing verbal behavior with kids. And um, it's, you know, it's a lot about asking good questions, making observations, modeling the act components within your meeting. And so, you know, again, if you were to like, if you were to see this on a movie um, or on a video and you, the, the sound was off, you, you like, it would look, it may look fairly similar to a typical just chat with, with a parent. Jonathan, what do you, you have any thoughts? Yeah, so we're constantly looking, I'm, I'm very visual. <laughs> so I, I'm always looking for like visual representations that I can kind of refer back to. So that's what initially attracted me to the standard acceleration chart, which I use for you know, developing skills. It's very visual. I can, I can see the data very clearly and the same holds for this as well. So I, I really try to get the act and act act going. I try to get the, the parents really keeping track of things and, and having something that I can look at, we can share together and we can review. And this is something that we touched upon in the webinar that we did about uh, the event logs. And these are just a way for the parents to begin the process of doing a contingency analysis. Right? So they're, they're keeping track of the things that are going on during the day. And there's different types of ways to do this. But ultimately, if we just look at a daily event log, you keep track, it's like you know, we would in the classroom. What was going on? Who was there? But the key here is that we say, what did you want to get out of this event? And then what actually happened? So sometimes the parents would write, I, 
I wanted to have a, a really pleasant breakfast with my, with my son. I wanted it to be very nice. We wanted to have a good conversation. And then they'll write what we got, yelling, screaming, refusal to go to school. <laughs> and then there's a comment section. Well, they'll write down kind of how they feel. I felt really mad, felt angry. Felt like I wanted to slam the door, right? And then we look at, well, what was going on in this situation that resulted in that? Well, I, you know, I told him he had to clean up his, his bowl and he, he didn't want to clean up his bowl and he's just being stubborn. And you know, it resulted in us getting into a big fight. We'll talk about the contingencies that occasioned that. And then they start to see through all of these logs, through all of these events throughout the day, what might be going on systemically that's contributing to this. So a parent, it's wonderful because then they'll start to say something like, you know what? The only time I really get to see him is before school. And so if he delays going to school and we get into this fight and argument, maybe that keeps me engaged with him for an extra 15 minutes while we fight it out. Maybe that's why he does it. Oh, so what are some things we can put in place for that? Well, maybe I can make sure I, I go out and take him to the playground after school every day and spend time with them that way. Yeah, that's a great idea. So now we're giving them the tools to begin to analyze and problem solve in future situations. So I can fade out because I, I don't want to be with a family forever. <laughs> I want to get in, I want to give them the tools, help them as a team member to, to utilize those tools and then get out, right? So that they can do it on their own. And eventually the learner teaching the child as to be a self-advocate and do it themselves. And so you can see, you can see like how um, the event logs, what Jonathan's talking about, and helping the parent become a contingency analyst builds awareness, right? It, they they start becoming more aware of their own thoughts and feelings around the circumstances that are challenging. Like you were mentioning earlier, Brian, about you know the parent training and like the moments where they're like, oh, really, really frustrated, and there's a lot going on. Um, but but that's one of the the beautiful things I think about helping parents. I mean, this, this is how you help parents become contingency analysts, right? These event logs and um, it builds their awareness. And, you know, this, um, I got, I was lucky enough to receive some, um, some supervision from Jonathan Bricker, who's like renowned act expert. And he says, you can't accept something that you're not aware of, right? You have to have, you have to build awareness first before you can accept something. And that, I think, you know, um, what Jonathan's speaking to in those contingency uh, or in those event logs is, is such a nice pathway to um, increasing parents' awareness and then helping them become better contingency analysts. That's super cool. I love the idea that, and it's almost similar to, to the traditional way, so to speak, that sitting down looking at the ABC data collection of what the kid is doing, but instead you're turning it more into the, the parent and looking at what's valuable to them, what they wanted to get out of the interaction with the child and tracking what they did instead. So that, that's a really beautiful concept. And remind me, when you all did the, the presentation for us, did you send over the event logs as examples too? I, I cool. did, but I can certainly okay. do yeah, I was going to say that that following up once this is aired, uh, we can put that into the file section of mindful behavior if you all are cool with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I'm sure people are going to hear this and be like, what are the event logs? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I guess I have a follow up question to that, which is when you're doing the parent coaching, do you teach behavior analytic concepts or is it mostly... So is it kind of a mix of those or do you worry about doing ABC data as well? Or what are, what's, what's kind of the, the approach that you found to be most effective? Yeah. And with the families I work with, I do, I go into behavior analytic concepts and try to get a firm foundation in place. So they at least have uh, an understanding of the occasion behavior consequence relation. Um, and, and that functional relation is, is, is the basis of everything, right? So behavior is a function of X, but the, the clear, the difference here is that it's under C, it's under a condition. And that's the piece that makes it nonlinear. And so once families kind of look beyond the, the standard ABC data, and they see that these things occur under specific conditions, that's, that's when things start to change. Because now they're looking at how do we build behaviors? How do we take behaviors we want to see more of? And it turns them into builders instead of, I want to just eliminate all these things I don't like. 
or that I feel like are, are bad, right? There's some really nice ways to move over this in terms of, we had a little bit more time, I know, I know trying to wrap up soon, but the idea here is that what the problem presented isn't necessarily the problem to be solved. So someone may come to you for, for weight gain, they say, oh, I just wanna lose weight. And then you used to have them do these logs and it turns out they're getting up all the time at work and they're going to the candy machine and they're getting candy. And you might say, well, okay, taking some raisins, taking some nuts, that's a very linear approach, kind of do this replacement thing. And, but if we look at the event logs and find out later on through that, that it turns out that they were actually, work was piling up on their desk because people kept coming over and you know, you're a really nice guy and you say yes to everything. And so things start piling up. Now you think, well, I got all this work this is getting really, I'm just getting really stressed here. I need to get up and take a walk, right? Well, the walk isn't going to do it because then you look weird just walking around the office. People are like, what's he doing? Just walking around. So you go to the candy machine and now people talk about, oh, there goes, there goes Bob going to get his candy, right? So now you have this kind of rule to fill. Turns out though, if you just teach assertiveness training and you just say, like, teach them how to say no to people in a pleasant way, then he doesn't have to get go to the candy machine because the work isn't piling up anymore. So it looks like it was weight reduction. Turns out it was something completely different. And that wouldn't have come up unless you had those event logs look at it. And that's the nonlinear piece that's really important. I think that's my new favorite analogy. So I'm gonna write that down and start using it whenever I talk to people. That was great, Jonathan, thank you. I have to say that the, one of the things that, that I love most about ACT is that it's, it's incredibly human. Um, it, it takes, it takes things that, that people assume are kind of not human slash, uh, I, I hate the, I hate the uh, attitude of science is kind of not being real because it really is just another language, but you know, the, the math nerd or the science nerd, but <clears throat> the, the thing that I love about ACT is that it's difficult not to connect it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult for uh, people to not see the compassion, the passion, the the love, the the desire to understand and and look at the context. Um, look at people and and organisms in their context. Um, so that's that just a thought I had that I wanted to share. Yeah, I mean, our, our science is a compassionate one if we're doing it right. It's it's looking at all the context in which behavior happens, and um, you know, the behavior is never divorced from it. So, it's if we're really doing it right, I mean, we're we're generating compassion. Um, what's the uh, quote? You know, um, I'm trying to you know, like try to turn people into trees, right? We you don't know the conditions, you know, some trees kind of bend and twist and some trees are straight up and some trees have, you know, some branches with lots of leaves and some trees don't have any leaves. And, um, you know, people are like that and we don't judge a tree. We don't sit there and look at a tree and say, why the heck did it grow that way? We say, oh, you know, it's on the, it's on the far side of the, the woods where, um, you know, there's no sun. Right. And um, what is this? Um, What's what? Yeah, and, and empathy. This is building empathy and, and perspective taking. And act. I think um, if we're doing it all right, we're able to generate quite a bit of compassion for people and why things are the way they are in people's lives. And I think that the person I'm quoting is Randoss. I think is his name. I might be getting that wrong. Um, but but eventually, you know, the whole thing is turning people into trees and um, trying to generate some um, some compassion for the way that they are, why they are, and and that. It's nothing personal against us. It's nothing, you know, there's no um, sort of vindictiveness or malice or whatever. It's just simply the, the environment that has shaped someone, especially the people that we find to be particularly challenging. But they're simply a um, behavior, simply a, a function of their consequences in the environment. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's beautiful because if that fits in so nicely with all behaviors rational, right? All behavior is rational. And if we have that, we have all the empathy we need. We have all the perspective we need to be able to address what appears to be very difficult behaviors. So. Well, that's about our time, but I, I do have uh, one last question slash request. 
Um, we have a lot of folks who are listening who are either behavior analysts or parents or people who just want to understand behavior a little bit better or act a little bit better. Um, what is a good starting point in your opinion for somebody who wants to help families, either their family or families that they're working with um, to apply ACT? Is there any articles or, or readings or, or videos that you would recommend or perhaps even trainings? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many. Um, you know, I always think Russ Harris is a great place to start. Act Made Simple. He's so well. Um, he writes well. He writes simply. He's entertaining. If you want to stick with it, maybe start with some Russ Harris. Um, but there's a lot of great, I mean, there's so much good stuff out there. Um, you know, even articles I would read, I would try to read Steve Hayes, you know, um, uh, there's, there's, I, I like, I've got so many things that I could say here. Um, but, um, you know, the 1994 article that Steve Hayes wrote about altering the, ver um, the verbal support for experiential avoidance, you know, that was 94 with Steve Hayes and, um, I mean, the, the Learning Act book, um, I, would, I would say check that out. Um, you know, if you want to really get into more, um, I mean, I love Mindfulness for Two by Kelly Wilson. I feel like that's a great book. Um, other, I mean, there are more recent articles that may be of interest to you that like Evelyn Gould um, and, and Lisa Coyne and, and um, you know, like Mark Dixon, got a lot of great articles. I'm sure I'm missing people that are wonderful, you know, behavior analytic researchers in the act and stuff, but I would start there, I guess. Yeah. We love Evelyn. She, she was our first guest that we had, but you left out you two. <laughs> you all just did a presentation for us and you all can actually, our listeners, you will be able to access that on the Mindful Behavior website for just a small processing fee, very low cost. They were so kind to, to notate this to us. Um, I believe May 1st is the date you all can access Jonathan and Tommy's very own intro to <laughs> ACT with parent training presentation. Awesome. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. Well, uh, that looks like that's our time. Um, somebody in the chat mentioned uh, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life by Dr. Stephen Hayes. So that's a, that's a favorite of mine, too. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and wrap us up. Um, thank you folks for, for joining us for the Act Natural podcast. Please keep in mind that this is a open source education material, which means that you can use all or part towards continuing education, towards um, helping other folks to learn and spread the knowledge. Um, just make sure to cite your sources. Uh, we really are grateful for you both coming on to the podcast today and uh, act natural. <laughs> <laughs>